Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is August 13th, 2023, and the time for war is upon us. As a church, we are imaging the Lord more and more. We're not just talking about reflecting an image. It's one thing to reflect an image. It's an entirely different thing to become the image of our Heavenly Father, and that is what is going on in this house. We're rejecting our own views, and we're replacing them with correct, God-like views that have been birthed right from the Word of God, and He's making it more and more plain for us each and every day. Amen. Our God is sharpening us. Anybody feeling that process of God sharpening you, where he's cutting away the excess, the things that don't belong, what used to be okay, but now is not even close to being okay, because he is sharpening you. He's clarifying his will and your call each and every day. He is honing us in. He's bringing an intensity. He is intensifying for the days that are ahead and the battles that are yet to come. Somebody say hallelujah. We're the house of the living God in this place, which means that we will never, ever, ever treat prophecy with contempt. Guys, did you hear that prophecy during the first set of worship? Did you hear what God is doing right now? He's posing and positioning the nations for calamity. That was what the prophecy said. That's how it started. He's positioning each and every nation for a season of calamity and a season of warfare. Yeah, we want you to meditate, to chew on those prophecies, to consider what this prophecy is saying. He told us he has put his breath, the breath of his character inside of each one of us. He told us, keep our eyes on the throne, on his throne, and he promised us that he will work and use us to accomplish and bring about his will on the earth. Church, this is good news. This is good news because it's true. He has already breathed upon us. He has already given us the breath of life. He has already given our souls brand new life. And that is always for a purpose. Even worship this morning. Man, wasn't that special? Getting together. Man, who... Who walked in church late this morning? Yeah, yeah. The temptation is to walk in and be like, oh my God, we're already here. Oh my God, what did I miss? Or you could walk in and say, my God, the glory of God is already moving. I can already feel him moving. I can already see how his presence is here. It's going to be a special morning. Church, the word makes it clear how we are to prepare for war. Go with us to Deuteronomy chapter 20. We're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. Somebody say there as you're turning. Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 1. In your own Bibles, right there in your own laps, that you're actually going to read the word of God with us. Verse 1 says, when you go out to war against your enemies, not if, but when. When you go out to war against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you. <laughs> it's okay. We're going to get it this morning. See, Pastor and I don't have a ton of notes, so that means we're just looking at y'all and paying attention to what's going on. You don't have to be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. 
and when you draw near to the battle. Verse 1 was drawing and going off to war. Verse 2 is about drawing near in battle. A war is a very large, complex thing. The battle that's before you is the more immediate need and the battle that you get entangled with. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread for them. I'm glad it, the, the word of God clarifies that all the way around. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Now, there will be more and more enemies that rear their heads. There are going to be armies that are larger than we are. There are seemingly impossible and insurmountable battles that are directly ahead of us. You just need to go ahead and set your resolve today that that is the state of affairs for you, for us, and for the world that we're in. But let the words, do not fear, start ringing in your ears. Don't fear. Don't panic. Don't be in dread. That has to be the reoccurring, resounding sound that is in your ears today. Don't let your heart faint. Don't have a weak, soft, pitiful little heart. It's saying, do not let your heart be faint. Church, you have a choice. Somebody say, I have a choice. choice. And church, we know that you're going to make the right choice. See, no fear or panic or dread is there because victory is certain. Say it again, Pastor. Victory is certain. Say that with me. Victory Victory is is certain. certain. You need to hear us right now. You need to understand that victory is certain because of our God. And the outcome has already been determined by Adonai, and he is able to bring us to victory in every situation that we're in. You see, it doesn't matter if we're talking about current enemies, future enemies, or even your own flesh. Those are all inferior powers at work in the creation of God. Every single one is an inferior power compared to the the divine one, the divine power who is working in us and among us. Turn to 2 Peter 1, verse 3 with us as we get into it together this morning. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Man, that's a powerful phrase right there. All things pertaining to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, there's all kinds of ways that we could preach this. What we want to highlight right now is the fact that you and I are in the world, but you are no longer of this world. Amen. Any longer, not at all. The world has no power over you. You've been redefined. You've been recreated. You have been born again. And the inferior powers of the world have no hold on you. You're not inferior even to the patriarchs in what you have been given. 
Yeah, you're not inferior even to the prophets in what you have been given. In fact, you're not even inferior to the apostles in the full extent of what God has already given you. Church, let that sink in for a second. How many times is your view defined by, with, by your presupposition before you even read the word that I can't be like these guys? That these guys have more than I do. These guys' experiences, they su- surpass mine in every way. Church, your life and experiences are not inferior to theirs in any way. They don't have anything different or superior than we do. It's not true. In fact, the glory and the excellence and the promises of God have been granted to you at least as much as they were granted to them. And we would even dare to say this morning, so much more has been granted to you. You're partakers in his very divine nature. Do you see the scripture that's still on the screen? Which he has granted to us. His mediocre and kind of small promises. His inferior and ever-decreasing promises. His precious and very great promises. That, what, that is what has been given to you and I. The same caliber. That is amazing. I don't want to leave this idea just yet. That what you have been given equals that to which the patriarchs were given. To that which the prophets were given. To even that which the apostles were given. You have been given the precious and very great promises. My God. What a powerful, powerful thought. And as Pastor Judah rightly pointed out, more so. Somebody say more so. so. You have the very Spirit of God that indwells you. Have you read the stories in the Old Testament where the Spirit of God would come upon a man and great exploits? You get the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you as a deposit guaranteeing that which is yet to come. My goodness. So we're talking about the Lord preparing us for warfare today. See, Moses experienced warfare. Out of all the things that you may think about Moses, one of his strongest character traits was that he was a mighty general leading his people towards victory. He took on Egypt. But even after Egypt, there was battles that he had to go through and lead the people to. Destroying Sihon, destroying Og, destroying the Midianites. These were all Moses campaigns that he led into warfare. Joshua certainly experienced warfare. See, we are destined. You and I are destined to experience great warfare like these men. That's the trajectory that we're on. That is where we are. That is what our feet stand upon, the precipice of a great war that is before us. See, when we say these things, we know your mind wants to tend to go and put it somewhere else in the distant future. Yes, one day. At some point in the future. We're saying it is right here upon us. So today's title of our sermon is Entering God's Warfront. Say that with me. Entering Entering God's God's Warfront. Guys, when you think about entering God's war front, you need to know something. The same requirements are always necessary for entrance into God's war front. We're saying that God always prepares his people in the same way before they go to war. Let that sink in because 
When we're talking to you about you have the same and more as the patriarchs. You have the same and more as the prophets. You have the same and more as the apostles. We want to walk you through this morning the way that you have been equipped. And we're going to use a couple case studies. But first, we're going to talk about Moses with you together. He's the first of two men who we admire. We respect And we're going to illustrate these requirements to you as we dive in. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 4 with you. It says, when the Lord saw that he had gone, Moses, had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. See, Moses' first requirement to enter into God's war front is fulfilled right here. Moses had a holy ground moment in his life that was recorded in God's word for all of us to read about. You see, all men of God have had at least, at least one of these moments where God calls to you. He calls your name and you step up and you answer with your very life. That's what defines a holy ground moment before the Lord. Moses is already on holy ground before he even understands or gets the revelation that he is standing on holy ground. God reveals it to him. And Moses is forever changed and begins to be equipped for God's war front. This holy ground moment is going to be essential for that war front that awaits Moses in his future. And he doesn't understand it yet, but the war front is right on his doorstep. Come on now. Every man and woman of God has to have a holy ground moment. At least one that initiates you into the kingdom. You're going to need many of them, but there has to be a holy ground moment that gets you prepared for the war front. Let's look at a second experience that was absolutely necessary for Moses in preparation for entering into God's war front. Let's take a look at Exodus chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 24 through 26 together. It says this, At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. We just read in chapter 3 of God calling out to him and revealing this burning bush, this holy ground moment. By chapter 4, at a lodging place along the way to get back to Egypt so that Moses can liberate the people, the Lord met Moses and was going to kill him. Moses is trying to obey what God commanded him to do right now. Do you understand that? And we still come face to face with this situation. Verse 25, but Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Aren't you, don't you just love it when the Bible just makes it so Praise very God. plain? Thank you. Connect the dots to make sure nobody misses what we're talking about here. See, from the beginning, the Lord has always viewed circumcision for his people 
as important as life and death. It's not optional. It's not should you choose to accept this mission. It's actually a life and death situation. Moses would be representing God. Moses was supposed to represent the covenantal promises to both the people of God and to the world around him. So circumcision of Moses and his entire household was a requirement. Are y'all catching this with us this morning? Because of a covenantal relationship and what Moses was supposed to represent to the people of God and to the people of the world, circumcision was an absolute requirement for both Moses and his, and his entire household. Their circumcision would be an ongoing testimony to their commitment to his covenant, which they would need to revisit. Somebody say revisit. They would need to revisit it each day to keep them pressing forward through the conflicts and the warfare that was about to be upon them in the days ahead. You guys ready for the third necessary experience? This is found in Exodus 14. Turn with us there. Exodus 14, 21. Moses' third necessary experience. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Think, contemplate, consider, chew on this sea-splitting moment right here that Moses had. You know, at the beginning, he probably wasn't 100% confident that this moment was actually going to occur. Until he was. Until he saw the mighty hand of God stretch out through his hand. Imagine how this moment prepared Moses for the conflict and the difficult days that lie ahead of him. For the warfront and the battles that lied ahead of Moses and the people. There was much warfare, but he would be able to revisit this moment, see the power that was in God's hands through his arm, and be confident that he would do it again. So the truth is that these passages that we just read to you make up three foundational elements that all men of God are prepared with beginning as they, uh, I'm sorry, before they enter into new war fronts with the king. We want to make sure that everybody gets this, from our youngest to our oldest. So we're going to put it on a slide for you and put it right here on the screen. The three foundational elements to prepare for entering God's war front, as we learn it from Moses, are number one, a holy ground moment, a holy ground experience. Number two, a circumcision that shows an active covenantal relationship with the Lord. And number three, sea splitting miraculous, supernatural events that have to take place. Now, when you're looking at this slide, I think Moses is probably the most obvious character in the Word that has experienced these three things. I mean, when you look at holy ground, it's like, of course, Exodus 3, holy ground moment, Moses, absolutely. When you look at circumcision, maybe you had a question mark about that one, but it's clear in Exodus chapter 4. When you look at sea splitting, it's no question. Red Sea, Moses, Israel coming out of Egypt, definitely that man. But would it surprise you that he's not the only man in the word that has experienced this to get prepared for warfare, God's war front? Yet yeah, Joshua is our next case study. 
Our second illustration begins in Joshua 5, 13, because these elements are not unique to just Moses. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Wow, is there really only two choices there, Joshua? Oh, we're about to find out. Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. That's right. Joshua had a holy ground moment. You know, Joshua only presented two options here, and it made us laugh as we were studying yesterday. This angel is representing God. He's not representing Joshua and Joshua's army. He's not representing enemies and their army. He stands as God's representation on the earth. So the third option that Joshua didn't have is, I represent the Lord. That's right, I look exactly like him, and I do all that my God pleases. Can we learn something from that example? Joshua learned from this holy ground moment how to represent God better than he ever had before. Joshua, we know, was a disciple, an assistant to Moses for many years. He participated in many of Moses' foundational experiences even. He was there for a lot of them. But Moses having a holy ground moment and Joshua hearing about that holy ground moment is not the same as Joshua having a holy ground moment with the Lord himself. You can never trade that for anything. The importance of Joshua also needing his own holy ground moment is something that should be resonating within the heart of every man and woman in this place. You can't give us testimonies of the word of God that are about someone at what God has done in someone else only. The personal experience, the personal holy ground moment. Now that made us think about some holy ground moments in our own lives. Those personal times where you arrived somewhere, didn't realize even what was going on, and God decided to reveal that he had been there long before you got there and was now making his presence known to you. That's what happened in Moses' case, wasn't it? He didn't know that that was a holy moment, a, a, a holy ground kind of moment, and God revealed it. He entered in thinking whatever he was thinking, and God showed him. Joshua just thought he was having a regular encounter with a guy holding a sword. You know, those regular normal encounters. We live in Houston. We have homeless people. This is, this is a normal encounter. Made us think about some different things in our own life. I can point to times where I was driving somewhere, thinking about all of the wrong things, thinking about all the things that I had to do that day, only giving God two options. It's either this or this. And God came and met me in the very front seat of my vehicle while I was driving. And I'd have to stop and pull over because the tears were flowing down my cheeks and I felt the presence of God. 
I didn't deserve it. I didn't, I wasn't even asking him for it. He designated a holy ground moment where he came and said, it's my turn to talk to you. Now listen to what I have to say. Those are some beautiful moments that we have. I'm thinking about a time before we even got here. I went to go see Sam and Austin, and we were reading through Matthew, and all of a sudden the Lord started speaking to us about the next step that we must do, lose our lives for the sake of the kingdom. That was a holy ground moment. It will stick with us for the rest of our lives, and nobody can take away your holy ground moment from you. Nobody could take it from Moses. Nobody could take it from Joshua. We want you guys to think back to times where you've been drawn toward the Lord. And you discovered that you were experiencing a holy ground moment. You didn't know. You thought it was just normal ground that you were standing on. But all of a sudden, God made it absolutely clear to you. This is one of those times. This is one of those moments where God revealed his character to you. And made himself known to you in supernatural ways. Some of the times where you walked away and you were changed in that area forever. Times that you've had, how many have you had like that? How many times have you met with the Lord in a special way and he changed you fundamentally forever? Guys, isn't he a good king? So Joshua also had the foundation of circumcision at work in his life. He and all of those that he was responsible for. Before all of these men entered into the war front that was ahead of them, there had to be a circumcision time. In Joshua chapter 5, beginning in verse 2, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. again. Wow. <laughs> so Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Ha'araloth. Like Moses, this is another life and death encounter. With circumcision being the solution to the death and the very entrance into life itself. See, this is such an important monumental time here for the Jewish people that the place where they met, did you hear the term? Gibeah Ha'araloth? You might have a footnote in your Bible and the footnote says, Hill of Foreskins. Circumcision was an important enough event in what God was doing that it literally became a monument in their life that they could remember this very event that was going on. It was supposed to be a perpetual reminder throughout history. <laughs> throughout history. You know, the hill of foreskin right there? Yeah, you would remember that for the rest of your life. You'd remember it every time you looked down. You would remember it every time you look down. Because it was supposed to be a perpetual state that the people were living in. Being in an active state of covenant with God was essential for Joshua and for the whole nation to prepare for battle with all of the nations settled within the promised land. Out of all the things that God could have done to prepare them to enter into battle, you would not think that putting your entire army on bed rest for a few days while they healed would be the way that you would want to go about this. 
you would think that there would be some type of equipping with swords and spears. That is not what happened. There was first a circumcision to prepare the people for their war that was ahead of them. Now we want you guys to think about the active state of circumcision that God desires to have with you on a daily basis. A circumcision that must involve the people of God together in that process. You know, he's really given you so many opportunities to remain in an active state of circumcision in your own life on a daily basis. Let me mention a few to you this morning. Help us, Pastor. Let's just talk about the easy, low-hanging fruit. What about the response to sermons? That is an easy, easy thing that God has put in your life to make sure that you are in an active state of circumcision daily. What about the tools that you've been equipped with to pray through the tabernacle and reach that bronze altar? Even to do it with your family and your brothers. What about that, that Nabal card that's in your pocket? Isn't that a good tool to stay in an active state of circumcision? But let me tell you the truth, unless you whip it out like Wade just did, yeah, your card is not actually circumcision. You actually got to whip that thing out and use it. What about your mashlomka during your team meetings? That is a gift from the Lord. That is a gift that has been handed down and passed to you to stay in this state. Not to mention the daily fellowship that we share as a body of Christ every single day of the week. Guys, the truth is that you've been given all of the tools that you could possibly need to make sure that you are in this active state of circumcision. And like Joshua and the whole nation of Israel, this state is essential so that your reproach before God can continue to be rolled away from your life. The third and final foundation is seen again in Joshua's life were sea-splitting moments. Turn with us to Joshua chapter 4 and make sure that you're grasping this exactly as the scriptures are laying out. Joshua chapter 4 and verse 23 says this, For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. God is making sure that they, the people of God, were making the same connection that we are making today. Verse 24, he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And so that you might always fear the Lord your God. So Joshua and the people saw the Jordan River at flood stage, expanded beyond its banks. And then they saw the Jordan River split open before them. Why did the Lord do this? Yeah, it's not just a rhetorical question. We actually just read it. So that all of the people, including yourself, might have a full knowledge of the power of God. And, somebody say, and. You might personally always fear the Lord your God. So let's start to, to apply this to our own lives. Let's think about it. What has he, what has God done in your life? Raise your hand in this house if you've been healed of a sickness in a supernatural way. Wow. Okay, put your hands down. How about this? Raise your hand if you now have children that were impossible in your own ability to have and required supernatural help. 
Come on now, that's a lot of hands for this house. See, we could keep going on and on and on about the testimonies of our sea-splitting moments. But what is our point? Our point is so that you would know that God has done these things, and check this out, and he'll do it again. You realize the Jordan River, God tied it with the Red Sea, but it was so as people knew that it wasn't just one time that he did it. It wasn't just for a past generation that he would come and move mightily. It was generation after generation. It was for his people. He did it once, and he'll do it again, and he'll do the same thing inside of each and every heart. So we've reached our second slide. This is building for us. Three foundational elements. Joshua. This is what we have learned through going through Joshua's life. The holy ground moments where God has made himself known to you. This is an essential element that we need before we enter into another stage of the war front. Our active and ongoing circumcision. An active state of our covenant with God. This is a foundational element that we need before our next war front. And finally, sea splitting. God has given us sea splitting moments, and we need the hope of life that he will indeed do it again inside of our lives. These are foundational. What a good and faithful God that we serve, because with every single one, you guys raised your hands. You guys know from the examples that we gave that he has given you holy ground moments, active circumcision, and sea-splitting moments that will again occur in each of our lives. Guys, we are not inferior to men of God that have gone before us, spiritually or corporately. We have been given so much more. You know, the truth is that good seed has been sown into the lives of every single one of you. And you can see it this morning. We're all after at least 30-fold. That's the minimum goal, if not 100 or even more. Guys, with that said, let's turn together to Luke chapter 8. We need to see the parable of the sower in a brand new way together this morning. As you're turning to Luke chapter 8, we're going to jump straight into Jesus' explanation of this parable. And we want to tell you that God gave us something here for you today. And we want you to get ready to see this explanation in a way that you've never seen it before. Are you ready to see this in a different light? Luke chapter 8, verse 11. As Pastor Wade gets into this, no... As you engage with this, we are going to have an opportunity to respond to this passage very soon. So get your souls ready. Get your eyes ready. Get your hearts ready to respond to the Spirit of God. Verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the Word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. Somebody say, ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they might not believe and be saved. So we're going to draw a connection for you. The ones who hear are those who have had holy ground moments with the Lord. Normally you put this part of the parable as an unsaved man somewhere else so that you don't have to deal with what the word of God actually is saying about you. The one who hears are those who have had holy ground moments with the Lord. 
Those who have had an experience with the very Word of God and have actually walked away genuinely transformed and changed. See, we already know that you've had these holy ground moments. The question that we have for you is have you had them stolen from you? Your holy ground moment that you actually had hasn't been stolen from you. Have you continued your journey toward the war front, marching on, and yet have forgotten how the Lord has visited you in the past? God has made himself known to you. Can somebody say amen to that? But how many times does he have to prove himself to you? Are you in a cycle of being unfaithful to him until the next holy ground moment that comes and rescues you yet again? Church, we're saying to you this morning that this is the definition of the seed that was sown along the path. The seed, the word of God, sown in a way where that path that's been well trodden, it's been compressed and packed down, that path that doesn't cherish the times where God has come. And so when real warfare actually shows up, not just our speech, not just in hypothetical language, but when real warfare shows up, when actual enemies begin to rear their head in your life, when armies show up that are in fact larger and stronger than you, when they're seemingly insurmountable, impossible battles that appear before you, and your heart becomes faint. The fear just rises up and begins to overwhelm you, and you give way to panic and dread. Church, we're telling you today, you've got to reject all the efforts of the flesh to tell you that the Lord loved you more in some other time period in the past because you may have felt him more at another time. Or because you haven't had a holy ground moment recently. As if what God has already done wasn't enough and somehow it has been stolen from you. Let's go to verse 13. Are you ready? Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. Yeah! That was a great teaching. That was a great service. That was a great prophecy. I love that, Pastor Nick. That was excellent what you just said. But they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. You know, it says Peshatli here that the rocky ground usually believes for a while. Until times of testing come. I.e. until times of war appear on their front doorstep. And then because of no root, they fall. There's only one solution for rocky ground, church. You already know what it is. It was the second essential element that you learned about from Moses and Joshua's life. It's an active state of circumcision of your heart. That's the only way that you can cure rocky soil where the seed is not able to permeate and produce a root that stands the test of time. You must never move from a perpetual state of circumcision. It's forever. You never get circumcised, and then all of a sudden become uncircumcised. The visual in the flesh is supposed to be a visual of our heart and our spiritual condition, church. 
You interact with your own heart circumcision every day, and it reminds you of the covenant that you made when you first were circumcised before the Lord. you got to stop fighting against the opportunities that you've been blessed with to be circumcised daily. We won over them. But they're gifts to you, responding to sermons in this place, praying through the tabernacle at the bronze altar. Your Nabal card in your pocket is a gift to you to stay in a perpetual state of circumcision. Your mashlomka during team meetings. We're going to come back to that one, Pastor. Your daily fellowship with this body. These are gifts from the Lord to you. More plainly, articulating this problem, since it's not for a lack of opportunity, and we know that, church, you being transparent without engaging in your own circumcision, this is not the same thing that we are talking about. Come on, say that again, Pastor. You being transparent and just quote-unquote fessing up to things that were bad in your week, that's not the same thing as circumcision. Circumcision is you being cut, you desiring to be changed, you having a soft heart towards your brothers to the point where it doesn't matter what they say after that. You're going to do it because the word says it. Transparency says, you know, Pastor Wade, my wife and I did this and I just wanted to bring it out into the open. I fully expect it to happen next week. You cannot just simply be open without being rightly cut by what you've done. You cannot selectively share. That's not circumcision. You can't go a respectable distance without going the whole way with your circumcision in the manner that you are being convicted to do so. We can feel God's spirit here with us now. Transparency, when done right, is a sign of your ongoing daily circumcision of your own heart. <laughs> to share what you are thinking without actually having the presence of God cut your own heart has never been what we've been aiming after. That's not a true moment of transparency. What we're saying is that it reveals the circumcision that should already be taking place inside of your own heart. Let's take a look at verse 14. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So the thorny ground are those who have had sea-splitting moments. Supernatural deliverances from God again and again and again. But then you're suffocated by the current circumstances that God has allowed. He's had a sea-splitting moment for you. He is putting you in a situation that his character might be formed. And you feel, ah, I feel suffocated because my circumstances have changed. You start feeling smothered by the resources that you are certain. If you had more money, if you had more resources, sources, it would bring about the victory that you desire. Oh, you think this, this passage is saying being choked out by life's worries and riches mean that you have to be rich before that can happen to you? 
It's the worries and it's the riches that you are longing for. Poor people can be the most guilty of this out of anyone in the world because you think that more money will help you. And if you looked at every man and woman in this church, on a global scale, you're in the top 1% of money earners anywhere in the world, every single person in this room. So you are rich. How about this? How about you get a, you're getting asphyxiated by your own comfort? Oh, come on, pastor. You know, that next beach trip, that next seeking of comfort is something that you desire. Hey, how about we escape? Because that'll fix it. I just, you know, what would really fix my heart is if I got away. Oh, I long to get away from the life that God has actually given me supernaturally. That actually allows you to be in a church like this for a decade and not mature the way that you know you need to. That is the point of this entire illustration. The thorny ground, these thorny realities prevent you from actually maturing. Because your maturity is demonstrated by the crop that you produce. See, you don't, you don't get to just say, hey, I've been here. I've been in the kingdom a long time. I've been in LCM for a long time. But the truth is, is that God has given you all of these essential elements that you need for the battlefield. But it can be clear that in our own hearts, in your own selfishness, you believe that you have not been given enough holy ground moments to sustain you. That you have received the word with joy, but you believe that you do not need to live in an active state of daily circumcision. You've been given more sea-splitting moments than you can count, but you've been suffocated by your own sinful desires, sinful pleasures, and sinful worries. Church, these get fixed today. In fact, they get fixed right now. This moment right now. Church, are you feeling the Spirit of God moving amongst us? Can you feel the way that God wants to fix this corrupted view of him and the lives that he's given us? We've been blessed beyond measure. So we're going to take them one at a time. And we're going to ask you to stand as a witness before God's people. If you have been given holy ground moments that have been stolen from you, that you know you have been taken care of by God and you must stand on them, but you feel like you don't have enough and you're just unfaithful until that next holy ground moment and you want that to be fixed, stand up to your feet. Stand up to your feet this morning. Man, you've experienced more of the presence and the power of God than almost anyone that we know. Anyone on the earth, he's poured out his spirit upon you. He's given you revelation that you're standing on holy ground. Man, that's enough for us, church. It's enough for us to see his graciousness and know that he will support us into the future. Adding to that, if you are here in this room right now and you have not been active in a daily kind of circumcision process. You've allowed a moniker of transparency to actually shade you from needing the change and engaging with the Lord that the way that you must. 
It's proving that your roots are shallow and that any time that actual trials come, you fade away. Stand right now if you want to fix that here in this moment in this day. If you're already standing, raise a hand to acknowledge it so that you don't get to get away from the actual circumcision of your heart right now. As we went over the third one, the sea-splitting moments, the foundational elements that God has put, sea-splitting moments in miraculous times in your life that you can look back to and say, God did that. But you stand here today or you sit here today not having a faith that believes that he will do it in the future. Stand up. Raise your hands with us. Father, Father, we have been given so much in this house. Lord, we have been given grace upon grace, mighty God. Power upon power. Experience upon experience, mighty God. Father, we pray right now that the suffocation of our own maturity would die today. Lord, that what you've already given us would be enough for us, mighty God. And anything else that we experience is just a blessing and just to your glory, mighty King. Lord, we stand here as men equipped for the war front, equipped for the days ahead. Lord, you have already given it to us, mighty God. We repent for not believing it. We repent for not living like it's been true, mighty God. And we're praying that you would move among us, Lord God, that we would represent you and be prepared for the days ahead in jesus name everybody said amen. amen you can take a seat Ooh, can you feel the favor of god upon this house my goodness we just want to tell you that you are strong men and women of god who've experienced these things that we've illustrated to you today this is how you do it you realize that God is preparing you for war and you enter and you engage in that process and that's what you've done. And, somebody say and. and. We want to remind you of something. This is not even about you. Oh yeah, I forgot about that part. I got to be reminded, it's not about you. It's never been about you. It's about those who are around you who are watching and learning from you. Can we prove that to you? We're going to prove it to you right now. We're going to prove it to you from Jesus' life in these same three foundational experiences that you've just learned about. Come on, let's go to Matthew 17 together. You know where we're going. We got a holy ground moment. There were many, but this is one that sticks out to us. Oh, I love it. Matthew 17, 5. Man, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, <clears throat> they fell face down to the ground terrified. But Jesus came and he touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid, he said. When they looked up, they saw no one else but Jesus. Guys, like Moses, like Joshua, like Jesus, he's having a holy ground moment with his father and his disciples right here. Guys, Jesus' holy ground moments were the basis for many of his encouragements to his disciples. 
your holy ground moments are the basis for many of your encouragements with your disciples and those around you. You have what it takes to supply their needs. And you are able to say to all of us in this body, get up. Don't be afraid. God is with us. We've experienced his presence and we are powerful to move forward. And others in that testimony will not see you. They will see no one but Jesus inside of you. Somebody say that's good. Turn with us to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 21. And you're going to see a beautiful facet in Jesus' life. Luke 2, 21 says this, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So like Moses and Joshua, Jesus had an active state of covenant with God through circumcision. He was eight day old, little baby Jesus, getting circumcised. And you know the details of this, but you need to understand what's going on. We want to tell you that just like Moses, just like Joshua, just like Jesus, these circumcision moments inspire other people. Other people are inspired. Has anybody had someone in this church who their actual sharing, righteous transparency of sharing their own circumcision of their heart has inspired you to do the same? All the time. All the time. I'm like, man, that that my brother just said, Pastor Nick just shared something about his own heart in our team meeting. And I have to be honest, that wouldn't have even registered that I should have been upset about that. No, that's just me. I, oh, I'm getting convicted by his telling of circumcision of his own heart. Ooh, yeah, me too. I need that too. That wasn't going to be on my list, but now it's on my list. See, okay, some of y'all are laughing because some of you get it. When you're doing your team meetings, right, that should happen all the time. Oh, that's true. That also happened. Yes. Yes, that also happened to me. See, other people are inspired by true circumcision, even for little eight-day-old baby Jesus. Eight-day-old Jesus. Who did he inspire? Simeon. A man named Simeon who was there, who began to testify, began to prophesy about how the work of the Messiah would be a blessing. He was talking about, he had seen, Lord, you can dismiss me in peace. I've seen salvation for all people, a light for the Gentiles, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles, for the glory of Israel. He started prophesying because of the circumcision of the Messiah. You know who else began to be incredibly inspired and impacted by what happened with little eight-day-old baby Jesus? Was Anna. Anna, what does she begin to do? She sees this. It tells her story of how she's a widow, how she's an older woman. And what does she do? She gives thanks to God and then begins to tell everyone of what she's seen. She becomes a powerful 84-year-old evangelist. 
Have you heard? Have you seen? Do you know what happened? A baby was circumcised. But it wasn't any baby. The reason I'm highlighting the baby part is if this kind of circumcision that shows a covenant with God, Jesus didn't say words. <laughs> he didn't lay his hand on someone. He literally had the circumcision of covenant in his own life, and it produced life in others. It produced prophecy. It produced evangelism. It produced the Spirit of God awakening for both young and old. It moves entire nations when your life is marked by the same kind of circumcision that we're seeing here. Turn to Mark 4 with us. Let's look at a sea-splitting moment in Jesus' life. Mark 4, 37. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? But he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, we often read this story and we put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples. The ones who were afraid. The ones who had no faith. No. We put ourselves in the shoes of Jesus this morning. He saw the wind and the waves. His father empowered him to have a sea-splitting moment at that time. And the testimony of that moment did something special for his disciples. Guys, your sea-splitting moments turns others' flight into fight. It turns others to be able to have their resolute resolve solidified with the Lord. We are commanding you this morning to raise your own expectations about the sea-splitting moments that are to come. Because disciples will be inspired by you like they were inspired by Jesus. And others desperately need that kind of inspiration in their lives. It will eradicate their fears and it will increase their faith in a Deuteronomy 20 style before the fight comes to our doorstep. Church, I want you to hear before we move on. I want you to hear what Pastor Nick just said. We're commanding you. We're not asking you. We're not pleading with you. As your pastors and elders, we're commanding you to raise your expectation of the future sea-splitting moments that your hands will be involved in, that you will be a part of, that you will have to stretch out. Come on now, the Lord delivered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. But did you see what we read earlier? Moses was the one that stretched out his hand over the waters. And God, which outstretched hand was it? Was it God's or Moses? Yes. Which outstretched hand is it going to be in the next sea-splitting moment for you? Him or you? Yes. Let your faith rise today at those sea-splitting, miraculous, supernatural moments. See, church, you have all three foundational elements at work in your life right now. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Take a look at it on a slide and make sure that it gets down in us. These three foundational elements that are perfected inside of us. Those holy ground moments 
that inspires others to behold the glory of God. That active, ongoing, daily circumcision that awakens the Spirit of God in others. Those sea-splitting, faith-filled, miraculous moments, it eradicates their fears and increases their faith in the process. Ooh, church, we're going to war together, and we are going to win together. Turn to Hebrews 12 with us. We got to go to Hebrews 12.1. We got to do it. Come on, we're getting close to our landing point this morning, but we got to go to Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Throw it off. Whatever hinders. The sin that so easily entangles, throw it off. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Just like Moses, just like Joshua, just like Jesus right here, faith was built into you through your holy ground encounters with the Lord. Faith was built into you through your own circumcision experiences before this family. And faith is built in you through those previous sea-splitting moments of triumph. You have a mature realization of your own status. You have a sober judgment about your need for continual circumcision. And you have a faith for the miraculous that is ever-increasing as you continue to add to your faith the very character of Yahweh God. These revelations in you make you a pioneer and perfecter for the faith and further maturity in the lives of others. Thank you, church, for pursuing the kingdom for the joy that is set before each of you and inspiring others in this place to have the same exact pursuit that you do. What a good word, man. See, we want to tell you today that it wasn't a question for Joshua and Israel if they were going to win or lose in warfare with the other nation. It's not a question for you either. <laughs> I, I, lo I love this house. I love my family. Because you can believe it for Joshua, but for yourself it's more difficult. You have these three things that work in your life. We're, we're seeing it. <laughs> This is an amazing thing that we got to get. It's not a question of whether you're going to win or lose. Victory is certain. God can and will take care of the victory with no problems. It's not even a fight for him. It's not even a difficulty. It's about the foundational elements that a man of God possesses before the war even starts that makes the man who stands in the middle of that battlefield powerful. Church, we want to tell you, and you need to get this down in your soul. You are uniquely prepared for warfare. You have actually stood on holy ground. You are living in an active state of circumcision. You have and will expect God's sea-splitting moments as many times as you need them. Man, don't we all want miracles to happen in our lives? The scary part is to need a miracle. Man, I'd love for a miracle. No, do you know where you have to be for a miracle to happen? is that a great need that nothing else on the whole planet can fix. Oh, yeah. So I'm not going to be afraid to get in those positions 
Because those are the moments when his sea-splitting power arrives on the scene. See, like Joshua and the Israelites, these three things produce the ability to have a certainty of the conquest, to have a certainty of victory in your life, to have a certainty of the allotment and the inheritance that are yours in Christ. We're going to end this morning in our time together in Joshua 21. It's only fitting that we end it here. Because like Moses, like Joshua, like Jesus, there is a specific promise that was given by the Lord through Joshua to the entire nation of Israel. Turn to Joshua 21, 43. Actually, stand up with us. We'll put it on the screen. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors. And they took possession of it and settled there. Let's go to the next verse. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. What do we learn from this passage, church? From this passage, we learn that the victory is already promised by our king. The victory is already at hand. It's already in our possession. What we also learn is that the promises of God will not fail. Not for you, not for us as a conglomerate of God's people. They will not fail. And thirdly, we understand from this passage that God's allotment and his inheritance is secure in his hand. He is literally waiting for us to enter into this battle so that he can prove his great faithfulness, so that he can show his love, so that he can, sh he can demonstrate his empowerment for those who believe. This morning, we hope that you got the revelation that you possess the three foundational elements that are necessary to put both feet and plant them in the battlefield and know that your God is for you. To see that victory that he's promised. Let's get into worship together. It's truly been a special morning, but we're not done exalting the great name of our king together. Because you are a people who are walking in these three elements. Didn't you, I love this passage in Joshua 21. It came back alive in my heart. Not one enemy could stand and not one promise lacked being fulfilled. Not one enemy can handle you and not one promise of God will fail to come about. That gives us great hope and encouragement today. Yes, there are battles ahead, but yes, you are empowered to win in them. It is time to worship God for all that he is worth. Mighty God, we honor you. No enemy can stand and no promise will fail to be fulfilled because of your goodness. In Jesus' name.